If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, I am Alan Pittman. I am uh, the senior pastor as well as one of the elders here, and we are absolutely thrilled that you are with us today here in person and online as well. Um, and if I have not had a chance to meet you yet and you're in the building, be sure and swing by the, uh, the entryway, the foyer of the church at the end of the service so that you can introduce yourself to me. We are absolutely excited to be starting a new series uh, this morning as we walk through the book of Acts together as a church family. I do want to mention one other thing real quick. Um, some of you ladies may be well aware of this already. Uh, back in October, we had a women's chat with the elders to just kind of talk about what does it look like to foster community within, within the women of our church, and then what would it look like if we were to start a women's ministry. And so uh, you may be wondering where we are in that process. I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, we have had a couple of women's events that have happened last year at the end of the year. Uh, there's a women's event coming up in February. I would encourage you ladies uh, to sign up to be a part of that. And then next Sunday, uh, a couple of the elders will be meeting with some of the ladies that had already discussed an interest in being a part of event planning. And uh, we're going to be sharing uh, with them and kind of letting them begin to plan uh, 2022 events. And so ladies, we're excited about what God is going to do in women's ministry here at Living Hope. And I just wanted to kind of... Uh, uh, push that a little bit with you. All right, let's go ahead and get ready to jump into God's Word together. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, I'd encourage you to turn to the book of Acts. Um, it is in the New Testament after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then we have the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, and you can grab a Bible that's near you, underneath the chair near you, and, uh, and use that Bible. If you don't have a Bible or you need one at the house, feel free to take that with you. That'll be our gift to you. Whenever I grew up, I grew up in the 70s and 80s as a kid, and whenever I, we watched television back then, almost everything on TV, with the exception of things like Dallas and Knott's Landing and all of that, almost all of the television, which we didn't watch any of that in my house, but the television that we watched was sitcoms, right? So think about how a sitcom operates. Yes, there is consistent characters from show to show, episode to episode, but in reality, each episode is a standalone episode, right? It doesn't really build on each other. You, you could just kind of watch as a, uh, each one as a standalone. All too often, we see Scripture as a sitcom, if you will, not that it's situation comedy, but we think that it's all disjointed, like, oh, okay, Acts is about this thing, Obadiah is about something else entirely. The reality is, as Nathan mentioned in our core class that's going to be walking through the Christian story, is that from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, there's one consistent story. It's the story of God's redemption plan for you and for I, and why we need a redemption plan. And it unpacks all of that for us. And so the reality is for us to understand God's Word and to study it effectively, we must, we need the context of all of God's Word. And so whenever we think about the book of Acts, which we're starting today, we're going to walk through the entire year um, and probably in the next year reading through and studying the book of Acts, we're going to see that the book of Acts doesn't just stand alone. It fits in the entirety of Scripture, specifically with the book of Luke. The book of Luke and the book of Acts are two books that work together, and if we're going to understand them, we need to understand Luke as well as Acts, all right? Here's what I thought of. I thought of the fact that the book of Acts, in many ways, is a sequel to 
the Gospel of Luke. And perhaps you've watched a lot of movies that have sequel after sequel after sequel after sequel, and if you don't watch all 14 of those prequels and sequels, you're kind of lost. And so a friend of mine this uh, December asked me to go watch a movie with him, and I'm going to have to look at my notes because I'm going to get the subtitle wrong, and you're going to laugh at me whenever I say it. I have to look at my notes. But we went to watch Spider-Man No Way Home. And when I sat and watched it, did I understand the movie? Yes. Did I understand it entirely? Absolutely not. Because there were scenes where people would come out and the audience would gasp and go, oh my goodness, it's Jethro. I had no idea he would show up. And I'm like, who is Jethro? You're like, I don't even think there was a guy named Jethro. There's not. I don't know who he is, but he just shows up and everybody like applauds. They're like applauding at some random scene and they're gasping and they're making connections. Oh, that now makes sense. And I'm going, it doesn't make sense to me. I didn't watch all 17 movies before we got here. And so was I able to understand the thrust of the movie? Yes. But there were so many nuances that I completely missed and it went straight over my head. It's the same way with God's Word. We can, with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, understand God's Word if we sit down and begin to study one particular passage of Scripture. But how much more will we get if we read and understand the whole scope of the Scripture? So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. This year, as we walk through the book of Acts, I would encourage you to read along with us at your own pace some of the book of Luke. Maybe start in Luke chapter 1 and just kind of slowly read through it. Maybe spend 365 days to read through it. Don't, don't feel like you have to rush and read all of Luke today to know what's happening in the book of Acts. Just know that Luke and Acts work together, and for you to understand the book of Acts, it might do you well to also read Luke while we're going through it. Additionally, I'll say one more thing. If you want to kind of know where we're going the next week, you'll see at the bottom of the worship guide, on the sermon notes, you'll see next week's sermon continuing in Acts chapter 1. I, I believe I'm going to be looking at verses 6 through 11 specifically, but if you want to read kind of spoiler alerts uh, as you get ready for next Sunday, every week there'll be kind of where we're at next week that'll show below. All this to say, I've titled this topic or this sermon today, the sequel, because we're looking at the introduction of the book of Acts and we're going to see how it is a sequel of what God has been doing and is doing and will be doing among his people. All right, a few little interesting facts about Luke and Acts. Acts, the book, was written by a man by the name of Luke and you've heard his name before because he wrote one of, wrote one of the gospels. Did you know that Luke wrote the largest percentage of the New Testament over everyone else. You're like, no, 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 Paul. Paul wrote 13 letters. Yes, he wrote 13 letters, but the number or the volume of the verses or the pages of the Bible of his portion is not as large as Luke's. Luke wrote approximately 27.5% of the New Testament between the book of Luke and the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a historical account of how the church grew 
It tells the history of the early church, but it's more than a historical narrative. It's more specifically a theological narrative. So I encourage you that as we study God's word in the book of Acts, don't just read it and go, oh, that's a neat story. Like, isn't that cool how God worked through Peter and John? And we'll just kind of mark that down. Or look what Paul's doing. Like, don't just read it for the history or the Sunday school lessons or the neat stories or, or whatever. Instead, as you read it, understand that, that Luke is actually writing theological principles or, or doctrine or beliefs about God's word as he writes the story of the church. Perhaps you've heard the title of the book of Acts. It's typically called the Acts of the Apostles. And if you don't know this already, just understand that the title of the books of the Bible was typically added after the book was already written. So Luke wrote it. It was kind of the second volume of the gospel for him. And somewhere along the line in the year 200 or so, the, the church said, you know what? This needs a better title. Let's call it the Acts of the Apostles. Apostles. But the reality is the title Acts of the Apostles is probably a lacking title because there are things that are happening in the book that are more than just the apostles. It's also the disciples. But more importantly, it's the work of God through his apostles. A better title might be this. It's kind of lengthy, and that's probably why they didn't choose it, but I'm going to share it with you. Here's a, maybe a better title. The Acts of the Risen Christ Through the Holy Spirit Working Through the Church. Let me say it one more time. The Acts of the Risen Christ Through the Holy Spirit Working Through the Church. So I want you to see as we read this book of Acts, that it is a sequel of what Jesus started doing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What he continued to do is he built the early church, and then the theological principles we'll see that he continues to do today through his church today. Not just living hope, but all of God's church around the world, he is still active and at work. Let's go ahead and dig in together. Acts chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5. This is referred to as a prologue. And Luke, as he writes the book of Acts, has a prologue in chapter 1. But also, if you go back and look at Luke chapter 1, you'll see a prologue that sounds very similar to this in some ways in Luke. Here's what it says in Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, this is a guy's name, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them. Jesus presented himself alive to the apostles after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I want us to look at verse 1. In verse 1, it is very clear that the book of Acts is a continuation from the Gospel of Luke. Because this book is being dedicated to or addressed to the audience of a man by the name of Theophilus. If you look at Luke chapter 1, you'll see that that book was written to Theophilus as well. And, and in Luke, he's referred to as the most excellent Theophilus, so he's apparently some sort of uh, uh, royal uh, or high official that Luke is writing this to or for. 
But the reality is it's not just written to Theophilus, it's written to be spread among the church, and that's why we're reading it today. But I want us to see that directly from verse 1, there is a sense of a continuation of the Gospel of Luke into the book of Acts. Now, at times I will pull out my, what is referred to as a Greek interlinear Bible, which means it has both Greek and the English translation with it. And sometimes there's a Greek word and an English word that corresponds with it completely. Other times there'll be a Greek word that has no translation there. And so as I began to look at Luke, sorry, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the second word in the Greek translation is not translated into English. And you're like, okay, why are you saying this? The reason I'm saying it is because the word is main, M-E-N, and it's not translated, translated because it's expecting a clause to come behind it, and that clause never shows up. And so here's why I point all this out. It's because there is a sense that as Luke writes the book of Acts, he's saying this is a story that's anticipating an ending, and that ending is not found in verses 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5, because the story continues on throughout the rest of the book. So there is a sense that God is at work, and not only is this a continuation of the book of Luke, because it's a second volume, if you will, to the gospel of Luke, it's also a continuation of God's story at work among his people, and that that story continues into today as well. So, here we are, reading the prologue, which acts as a bridge between the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, and Luke begins to describe what he is going to do in the rest of his book. If you want to, you may want to jot this down, later today you may want to go back to Luke chapter 24 and read verses 44 through 53. That's the ending of the last chapter of the book of Luke. And you'll see very much the same sort of things in Luke chapter 24 verses 44 through 53 as you see here in Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. So why is that? It's almost like Luke when he wrote Acts is doing us a favor and perhaps you've seen a television show that will say previously on such and such show here's what took place. And so it's like Luke is saying, previously in the life of Jesus, this is what took place. And so before I begin to tell the rest of the story, I've got to bring you back up to speed. And so there is definitely a tie that's pushing this story to tie in together. And then he's saying, but the mission is moving forward with God's plan in the world. So that's kind of where we are in the story, how these two stories combine And I want us to now look at some of the points that I want us to see that are found in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And you'll see them there on your notes. The first one is this, that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. You specifically see that in verse 3 when when Luke says that he presented himself, Jesus, alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. So maybe flash back to the Gospels. Not just Luke, but the other Gospels as well. We know that Jesus lived his life, was without sin, taught many things, performed many miracles, and then he was arrested and killed for something he had never done before. 
And yet he, he prophesied that it would come. That the reason he would be crucified is so that our sins might be forgiven if we place our faith and our trust in him because he would die a death that we deserve. But he wouldn't just die and lay in a grave and rot, but instead three days later he would raise again. And so the gospels all finish with Jesus being raised from the tomb. And then some of the gospels tell a little few more details, but that's essentially where it leaves us that, that Jesus has been resurrected to life. And so now Luke picks back up on that and he reminds us that Jesus is alive. Let's look at kind of the significance of verse 1. Or sorry, verse 3. It says that Jesus presented. That word in the Greek means showed. He presented himself. He, he showed himself to the disciples. Like they didn't know if he was really alive or not because they showed up at the tomb and the tomb was empty. And until they saw him with his eyes or if you were like Thomas, until you, you touched his, his, his hands and his feet, w- would they believe? And so Jesus showed himself to the disciples. It says that he presented himself alive. And the Greek word alive here carries with the context of coming back to life. It's not just simply I'm breathing and I've always been breathing. Rather, this word here indicates to be brought back to life. So the disciples are not only seeing him alive, but it's the fact that he's been brought back to life. And then it says that he presented himself alive to them. His apostles, the disciples, his followers were eyewitnesses. This is not made up. This is factual. This is true. There was someone that saw it. In fact, that was a prerequisite to be considered an apostle. You had to be an eyewitness of all that Jesus did and that he had been raised to life. Verse 3 goes on and says that he presented himself to them after his suffering. The suffering there is his death. So he had died. He had been brought back to life. He, he appeared or presented himself or showed himself to the, to the disciples. It says he did this by showing them many proofs. The Greek word for proofs here is convincing, irrefutable. In other words, there's no denying. The proofs were more than adequate. It was clear that it was true. Jesus was alive again. It says he appeared to them. And we know that he appeared on multiple occasions. He appeared at least 10 times based on what we see in the Gospels and in other places in Paul's writings. He appeared to them at least 10 times over the course of 40 days. He appeared at various points and various occasions and spent time with the disciples. So, Jesus was clearly alive. He had told his disciples that he would be crucified, that he would die, that he'd be resurrected. They had heard it. They had heard it from his mouth, and yet they didn't believe it. They didn't understand it. And so they were a little bit on the doubting side of things, and yet it came to be. Jesus is alive. That's a very important theological spot to begin to understand that Jesus is alive. His resurrection was literal. It wasn't made up. It wasn't imagined. It wasn't just wishful thinking among the disciples. Oh, I wish Jesus was still alive, so we're going to kind of imagine it to be. No, the reality is that Jesus literally resurrected. Not only was it literal, it was also bodily true he literally bodily resurrected he was not just kind of a spirit dancing around rather he was in the flesh there was something different about his glorified body but he had a body 
The reason I say that is because there are a lot of people out there that claim themselves to be Christians that don't want to believe that Jesus literally physically resurrected, but that somehow it's like a moral of the story or a spiritual sense. Before you think, oh, surely people don't believe that. I got a newsflash for you. Several years ago, I, I won't say the name, but several years ago, I was a youth pastor at a church, and, and they hired a guy to come in to be my boss, and his first week while being there, I chatted with him about resurrection, and he told me that he didn't believe that the resurrection was literally a physical resurrection, but that it was a spiritual resurrection. And this was at a Baptist church. We must see the tenets of the faith, that Jesus literally is alive, literally and physically, that there is something of substance. This is a truthful thing we've been taught. Jesus is alive. You're like, why are you spending all this time on that? Because that's kind of the basis of our faith. Look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It'll be there on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 through 17. Here's what, Jesus, what, what Paul says. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So in other words, if Jesus isn't alive, if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, everything we're talking about is pointless. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus is alive. And as we read through the book of Acts, make a mental note at least, if not a literal count of the number of times that time after time after time it is proclaimed from the rooftops that Jesus is alive. And here's the deal. Probably the majority of us in this room know that and believe that. But honestly, our lives aren't impacted by that enough. We're like, oh yeah, Jesus is alive. And then we start talking about the weather, or we start talking about football, or we start talking about this or that. No, Jesus being alive is an earth-shattering thing that impacts our lives still to this day. We can't lose sight of that truth, that Jesus is alive. The second thing, Jesus is reigning. He is king. He is Lord. He is in charge. He is reigning. And one of the ways that we see that he is reigning is from this idea of his ascending into heaven. Did you know that of all four Gospels, Luke is the only one that mentions Jesus' resurrection. Sorry, sorry, I didn't say that. That's not what I meant. Only gospel that mentions Jesus' ascension into heaven. The other gospels have him alive, but they don't complete the story to talk about his ascending into heaven. And you're like, well, why is that a big deal? We're going to look at this in just a second. Now, the book of Mark has kind of a, 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 a longer ending and a shorter ending. If you look at the longer ending that was maybe written later, there is an account of his ascension. But Luke's gospel is the only one that really has the account of Jesus' ascension. The reason I point that out, and the reason I point out his ascension that's mentioned here in, in chapter 1, verse uh, says that in verse 2, Jesus was taken up. That's his ascending into heaven, is because him ascending into heaven is not just, oh yeah, we need to tie a nice little bow on the end of it. Rather, him ascending into heaven is an indication that he is on the throne. 
He is reigning. He is ruling. He is in charge. Maybe you want to turn the page over to chapter 2. Verses 33 and 34 describe Jesus in his glory at the throne, at the right hand of God. And I'm going to read a portion of it. It says, talking about Jesus, it says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. So the fact that Jesus ascended, the fact that Jesus is in heaven, the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father is an indication that he is reigning and he is ruling and he is king and he is Lord and he is in charge. Now if we look back in chapter 1, we'll see other places where there's an indication that Jesus is ruling and that he is reigning and that he is sovereign. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, it says that Jesus has given them commands. The Greek word for commands here carries with it the idea of commands that are given from an official authority or a place of, uh, of, of, of a ruler. So the idea is that Jesus doesn't just give us instructions. Jesus doesn't just teach us. Jesus doesn't just say, this would be nice if you would do this. But rather, Jesus, because he is Lord, because he is king, he commands us to do certain things, and he commands us with his authority as king. Then look at verse 3. It says that after Jesus presented himself alive, he spent time with the disciples during those 40 days, and here's what he did at the end of verse 3. He said he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. There's a heavy focus on God's kingdom that he has brought about because he is king. This phrase or this concept of the kingdom of God is all throughout Jesus' ministry. This phrase, this concept of kingdom of God is all throughout Luke's writings. Specifically in the gospel of Luke, the kingdom of God is mentioned by name 32 times. And then in the the, the book of Acts, we see that the kingdom of God is mentioned eight times in, in the book of Acts. You may be going, well, that's not very many times, but the reality is the concept of Jesus being king and reigning in the kingdom of God is found throughout the book of Acts. In fact, Luke does something interesting. He frames his whole book in the book of Acts around the concept of the kingdom. What I mean by that is there are two references to the kingdom in chapter 1. There are two uh, references to the kingdom of God in chapter 28. Chapter 28 is the last chapter of the book of, uh, of Acts. And so what he's saying is it begins and ends and continues everything in between with this idea of the kingdom of God. Verse 3 in chapter 1, we see that Jesus spends those 40 days and the one topic of the teaching that he shared with the disciples that is mentioned to us is the kingdom of God. And if he's talking about the kingdom of God for 40 days, that's kind of a big topic. Then whenever you flip back to the last of of Acts, maybe you want to flip over to Acts chapter 28. If you look at the final verse in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, verse 31, it talks about boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God. That's what Paul was all about. So from beginning to end, literally chapter 1 to chapter 28, the book of Acts is, is entirely about the movement and the growth of and the, the ex, um, ex, expansion of the kingdom of God. 
You may be thinking, well, what is the kingdom of God? Those of us that are Americans, we don't have a whole lot of context about kings and queens other than uh, reading the tabloid news about the, 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 the royal family in, in England or maybe watching some of those Disney movies that have fictitious kingdoms that have kings and queens and princesses and all of that. But we don't really understand what, what a kingdom is, but typically we think, oh, I know what a kingdom is. A kingdom is a, a territory of land uh, that's a country and one person is in charge of it. And we think about a piece of land or a piece of property. The kingdom of God is not about one particular place on the map. Rather, the kingdom of God is about a particular people. Uh, and that is followers of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter where you go on the globe today. If you land anywhere, the kingdom of God is being experienced in and through his reign and rule in the lives of his people all over the globe. So the kingdom of God is about his rule and reign. So we see two principles here, at least, in the prologue. We see that Jesus is alive, and we see that he is reigning and ruling. But now I want us to tie that into our lives today, and you'll see that in the third note, that Jesus is alive and he's reigning in his followers we're going to see through the book of acts time and time again how jesus is alive and at work in his people we're going to see through the book of acts time and time again at how because he's alive in his people he is ruling and reigning and doing his work among his people but guys, we must remember that the book of Acts is a continuation. And what I mean by that is not just a continuation of what Jesus did while he was alive and then what he did in the early church, but rather it's a continuation as we see how God continues to do his work in and through us today. In many ways, Acts tells the rest of the story that's found in the Gospels. And then it reminds us that God's kingdom work continues today as well. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, he says, in my first book, or the Gospel of Luke, the things I wrote about, the things I dealt with, are the things that Jesus began to do and teach. The word began carries with it this idea that it's not complete yet. Like, in the book of Luke, I told you the things that Jesus did and taught. He didn't say the things he did and taught. He says the things that Jesus began to do and teach. But the reality is that Jesus ascends into heaven in the gospel of Luke, and so therefore wasn't Jesus' work and teachings complete in the gospel of Luke? And Luke says, no, that's only the beginning of what Jesus did and, and taught, because the reality is that he doesn't just do it and teach it through his own personal ministry while he's on the, on the, 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 the planet. He also does and teaches through his people today as the Holy Spirit works through us. So Jesus began to do and teach certain things, but the work was unfinished, and therefore the work continues through his people in the book of Acts, as well as through us. I want us to focus for just a minute. It says that he did this 
at the end of verse 1, through apostles that he had chosen. That Jesus would continue to do and teach things through these men that he had chosen. Do you remember much about the apostles? Do you remember much about the twelve? We know that Judas betrayed Jesus and that Judas died in the Gospels, and so now it's the eleven. But do you remember anything else about the apostles as the Gospels finished up? How many of them were at the cross with Jesus as Jesus was being crucified? One. Do you remember that John was at the cross when he's dying and Jesus looks down and he speaks to John and he says, take care of my mother and and John is the only one at the cross. What do the others do? They all scatter, right? Do you remember what Peter did? Peter denied Jesus three times the night that Jesus was arrested and crucified the next day. None of the disciples could be found because they were running scared out of their minds. If we're not careful, we will read the book of Acts and presume that these men were some kind of heroes that always followed Jesus closely and we'll forget that these men are just like you and me and that these men were failures as well and yet God chose to work through them. So this word chosen is less about salvation and it's more about the idea of someone that's being selected for a special task. And so these apostles were chosen for a special task of getting the gospel out into the then known world and the reality is that God chooses his followers to do the same thing today. And you may be thinking, but Alan, I'm a failure. Like, I don't know what to say. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to strike up a conversation. I don't know how to tell somebody about Jesus. The reality is these men were failures too. And if God chose them to use them and he chooses to use you, he will empower you to do the work that he's calling you to do. How did he empower these men? Look at verse 5. Well, in verse 4, he says, guys, I need you to stay here in Jerusalem. I need you to wait before you go out and tell other people. You need to wait on the Holy Spirit. And in verse 5, we see that just as John the Baptist baptized with water, you will soon, in the days coming, be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The only way that these men would be able to step out and do the work that God has given to them is if they did it in his power and in his strength to say that these men would be baptized with spirit means that he would god would take up residence in them and that he would guide them and direct them and use them guys if we want to be followers of jesus and living for him and telling others about him then we can't do it in our own strength we must rely on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as well. But you know what? Oftentimes we in the Baptist world almost forget about the Holy Spirit. We're like, ooh, don't want to get too crazy and we don't be uh, swinging from the chandelier, so let's not talk about the Holy Spirit. Guys, the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. And so whenever the work of Jesus continues through the life of the church in the book of Acts and in us today he's on the throne he's reigning and he's ruling it's his work it's his ministry and he uses the Holy Spirit to empower us 
We don't need to be scared of the Holy Spirit. We need to be calling on the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us because whenever we do things in our own strength and our own power, it will fail every time. But when we trust in the Holy Spirit, then we will be in awe of what God is doing in this place. So let's trust in the Holy Spirit. This morning we sang, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Were those just words? We're not talking about emotionalism here. We're talking about God himself empowering us, experiencing his baptism, experiencing his glory, allowing him to reign and rule in us through the work of his spirit within us. If we're going to be the church, if we're going to be a disciple, if we're going to make disciples, if we're going to live this out to the glory of God, we must rely on the strength and the power and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So this concept of Jesus being alive and reigning in his people means that while we read the stories in the book of Acts, we should understand the historical significance and the details that are attached to it, but we must not lose sight of the theological principles that are behind it that then empower us to step out and live like those disciples were called to live. That just as he, Jesus, was alive and reigning in his followers back then, he's alive and reigning within us, and he's calling us to step out and live life on mission as a church. I want us to consider a few things here. You may have noticed, uh, I think the graphic probably was on the screen, and maybe it still is. No, it's not right now. The graphic of, of the sermon series. The sermon series is covering the entire year uh, uh, through the book of Acts. You see this says Acts, the way forward. Let me explain for just a minute why we chose this title. Why, why the way forward? What, what do we mean by the way forward? There are several reasons why we chose that subtitle, and let me kind of list them for you. First of all, you, you may remember that the early followers of Jesus, they were oftentimes referred to as following the way, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They were walking in the way of Jesus. So the way forward that we're going to see from the book of Acts is that we are to walk in the way of Jesus. Also, this concept of going forward, the way forward is throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see that the gospel goes from Jerusalem, which is where the disciples were, then it would go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the then known world. And at the book, at the conclusion of the book of Acts, we'll see that Paul is in Rome and that the gospel has spread throughout the world. The way forward always also carries with it the idea that, that, that the, the church is to go out on mission to tell others about Jesus. We're going to see that in the historical account of the book of Acts. But I also believe that we as a church, Living Hope, we as this local body of believers, as we read the book of Acts, we're going to see that there is an answer to the way forward as a church body, and those answers are found in God's Word. Here are some questions that I've literally heard from some folks, and they're good questions, and they're aimed at us as a local church. Hey, where are we going? Like, where is Living Hope 
church going? What is our plan? What are we doing? What does the future hold for us? What are we going to do in 2022? How are we going to roll out of this pandemic and into the future? How are we going to re-engage with the community? How are we going to communicate the gospel? How are we going to live it out? Like, what is the plan? What is the vision? What is the idea? Where are we going? This idea of being a disciple, making disciples, being the church of the glory of God sounds good and all, but how are we going to do it? Those are the kinds of questions that I'm hearing from folks. Those are the kind of questions I'm asking myself. And let me propose to you that just as that title of the sermon series says, that the way forward, the way to move into the future as a church body is by recentering in God's word, understanding what his mission and plan and desire is for us and to follow him in that. Now, the early church was far from perfect. The early church had problems of her own. But as we study the early church, we're going to see the kinds of things that God is calling us to do, and therefore we're going to see that Jesus is alive and he is reigning in us, and the way forward as a church is for us to trust in him. I believe that each of these answers will come along the way. I have a pastor friend, got lots of pastor friends, but I've got a pastor friend in Goldthwaite, and he posted something this past week. Don't know that it was original with him, but Greg posted something this week along with uh, a quote from Matthew 28, 19, and 20, which is the Great Commission. And it basically said this, that there, are, there is lots of uncertainty. He's not a member of, of Living Hope. He's at First Baptist in Goldthwait. Churches around our country are experiencing the same things we are. And he was pushing us to the answer. And here's what he said. Lots of uncertainty are in churches these days. But this we know. This we know that Jesus made abundantly clear. And that our mission is to make disciples of all nations so the way forward as a church family the way forward as a church body the way forward as an individual the way forward as 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 a as a family the way forward as a hope group the way forward in our bible study classes the way forward the answer always is live life on mission of making disciples among the nations advancing the great name of jesus christ and so as we study the book of acts that's what we're going to press into when we focus on making disciples of all nations then we're able to move forward as a church there's no doubt that the book of acts is an exciting story true story as we start this study of the book of acts let me kind of tell you the time frame that's involved did you know that all 28 chapters together and the expanse of God's mission and glory around the globe, the church pressing forward, thousands upon thousands coming to faith, hundreds of churches starting, the, the gospel being spread throughout the world. Did you know that the story of the book of Acts is only 30 years long? 
We know that Jesus was crucified and resurrected and ascended somewhere in the year 30 to 33 A.D., somewhere in that time frame. We know that, um, that, that Paul is in Rome in prison uh, through the year 62. And so the book finishes in the year 62. The book begins somewhere around the year 30 or 33. So there's 30 years of history that are found in the book of Acts. And as you study this with me, take into account all that God did where everything was radically changed in a very short amount of time. They did not have the internet. They did not have uh, uh, cars. They did not have radios. They did not have planes. They did not have podcasts. They did not have social media. They had themselves and their own ability to trust in the Holy Spirit to share the gospel and the gospel spread around the then known world in 30 short years. I want you to consider these words. They're found in Acts chapter 17, verse 6. In the city of Thessalonica, some Jewish leaders were referring to Paul and Silas, and here's what they said about these men. These are men who have turned the world upside down. What if those same words could be said about you and me today. Is it not true that the mission is the same today as it was in the year 62? Is it not true that the same Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is alive and reigning in his people today as was in the year 62? Now, I'm not going to put God in a box and say, hey, God, you did it that way for those 30 years, and this is how you did it in 30 years, and we demand and expect you to do the same thing in the next 30 years. But I'm just saying that if, if God was capable to do that then, he's capable to do that now. Let us not just occupy these seats for the next 30 years and do church. Let us be the church for these next 30 years. Can you imagine what this city, what this community, what this neighborhood, what this church body could be like at the end of 30 years if we would simply press in the way forward by living life on mission by the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit within us? I don't know, I know many of you have been here at Living Hope for a long time. Some of you have only been here as long as I've been here for the last three and a half years. With COVID years, that's like 700 years. But, you know, three and a half years, how long I've been here. But our church body has just entered our 25th year of our history. Come September the 7th, we will be 25 years from when our first worship service happened at an elementary school right down the street. Think about all that God has done in those 25 years. Think about all the lives that have been impacted and changed and the gospel sent out and missionaries that are in other parts of the world because of what they experienced while they were here as a part of this church body. Just imagine these past 25 years God's done incredible things. Then think of the 30 years of the book of Acts, and then let's project into the future and think about what could God do in the next 30 years of the history of our church family. The past 24, almost 25 years have been amazing. 
But I believe that the very best is yet to come. Because God is still writing his story. And if Living Hope is your church family, if you're a member of our church body, God's intention is to use you and me to advance his glory so that we would be the church he's calling us to be. So this year, as we celebrate 25 years, we're going to kind of talk about things that happened in the past. I had a chance to sit down with some of our church members that were here on day one. In fact, one of our church members preached that very first sermon. Anybody want to take a clue who that person is? Mr. Bill McGee preached that first text 25 years ago. In fact, he preached the first four weeks. He wasn't the pastor. He was kind of filling in, and they had an interim, and then they'd call Butch as pastor a few months down the road. But we have people that are still a part of our church body that were there when it started, and yet we've had, as you know, lots of changes over the last 25 years. All we can do is to thank God for what he's done in the past and then set our eyes forward as we as a church body seek to live out the mission that God has called us to, to make his name great so that others would hear the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. So I ask you this question. What might God want to do through us? The only way that we're going to be able to do anything is in his power and his strength. And so I have three reflection questions that I believe will be on the screen for you. And as we finish our time up this morning, I, I know that today was, was a little bit different because we just kind of were starting this concept, kind of an introductory week into the book of Acts. Next week we'll really begin to dive in verse by verse by verse, uh, starting in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through verse 11. But hopefully this has set the stage to see that, that the story of Luke and the Gospels and the life and ministry of Jesus continues into the book of Acts and that you and I are a part of the story as well, that God is the primary character and yet we are, are, are a part of the equation as well. But in order for us to move forward as individuals and as a church family, we need to reflect on these questions. And here they are. I know that in some ways... These are yes-no questions, and so maybe they're not the best question. Maybe you want to rephrase it, but hopefully you'll move beyond the yes-no. Ho hopefully you'll begin to unpack it a bit and figure out how you can do it differently or better or how it can impact your life. And so here's the first question. Is Jesus' resurrection and his ascension impacting you on a continual basis? All too often, we know that Jesus was raised from the dead, we know that he ascended into heaven, we know he's Lord and King, but we live our lives as if he isn't. This morning, there may be some sin that you just need to unpack. There, there may need to be where you're going, you know what, I've got an idol ahead of me, and I'm not focused on Jesus. I'm focused on myself. This morning, you may need to just humble yourself in the presence of God and say, Father, I acknowledge that Jesus is alive and he's alive within me if I'm a follower of Jesus and he's on his throne and I want to follow him. 
when our lives are impacted by the fact that Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven, that means that we're living in the power of his resurrection instead of our own power and our own strength. Maybe this morning there's sin you need to confess so that you can live in that reality. The second reflection question is this. Are you empowered by the Holy Spirit? God's Word tells us that all of us are sinners without hope. That, that we are separated from God because of our sin. But the good news is this, that Jesus came and walked this earth and died for us. That if we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, if we repent of our sins and name him as Lord as he already is, then we can experience forgiveness of our sins. And that when that happens, the Holy Spirit baptizes us and he dwells within us. Perhaps you've heard Paul talk about walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh. The only way that we're going to stop walking in the flesh and begin to walk in the Spirit is if we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us. And then the third reflection question is this. I, I, I change from you to we because I want us to think corporately as a church body, not just individually. Are we, as a church family, faithfully taking part in God's mission. God's mission is that we would share the name of Jesus with people of all tribes and languages and tongues that they might come to know Jesus as well. As I studied this week, there's about a million other things I wanted to say today. And you're like, dude, you already told us two million things. Right, that's why I didn't tell you the other million. There's a lot to think through. We're going to spend this whole year walking through the book of Acts. But this morning as we wind up, let's remember that the way forward is to trust in the truth that Jesus has been resurrected, that he's reigning and ruling, and that he wants to reign and rule in your life. The question is, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if not, today can be that day. And if you have placed your faith and trust in him, are you allowing him to do his work in you and through you? I'm going to lead us in prayer. And at the end of that prayer, we're going to sing a couple of songs. And as we do that, I would encourage you to consider how God is leading you. Perhaps there's sin to confess. Perhaps there's a step to be taken Perhaps there's a conversation that needs to be had. Perhaps you need to come and pray at the altar. Maybe you want to come and pray with me. But let's allow God to do his work in and through us this morning. Let me pray for us.